0: So you're back. It seems you just couldn't stay away, especially after I promised you a spoiler-filled movie episode this week. Well, I'm not one to break my promises, so here's the second part of my episode about Misery by Stephen King, this time looking at the film, with my special guest Lorraine from American Murder Stories and Once Upon a Nightmare. So settle back, get yourself a big bowl of popcorn, a blanket to hide behind, and a massive soda. And let's get this show on the road. And surprisingly, I am back to talk misery again. Yeah, no, you're not mishearing. This is another episode talking about the Stephen King book, Misery. However, with my guest, Fantastic Lorraine from Once Upon a Nightmare and american murder stories which i can say i promise we are going to be talking about the 1990 film misery which was an adaptation of the book so lorraine what so, did you think of this
1: <laughs> i i um i love this film i think it's a brilliant film i uh really i watched it last night my partner watched it with me for the first time i didn't know he hadn't seen it before and uh he really enjoyed it but yeah I think this film is a great film and such a small cast obviously because of the book but I always find it fascinating when two people two or three people whatever is in a film can hold hold you for like that long so was it was in like an hour and 50 minutes or something hour and 47 47 yeah um I just thought it was brilliant and such great casting
0: do you think it would have been a say, been the same with the casting they originally had outlined for it?
1: Well, who did they originally have? I know with James Kahn they'd picked a few, but I didn't
0: know with her. Originally with James for James Kahn, they'd actually cast Warren Beatty. Oh. And okay. yeah. yeah, and he walked away from the project <laughs> quite amusingly walked away from the project okay. uh, because of the hobbling scene. Really? Yeah, and they originally offered the role of Annie Wilkes to a 1980s darling, Bette Midler. I think I could see Bette Midler. She refused the role of Annie Wilkes because Because of the hobbling scene.
1: (laughs) It's film, it's film.
0: Yeah, Um... I think the thing was the original hobbling scene, which we will get into later, was, was actually meant to be the book scene. Ah, okay. See, that's the thing. We have just, if you haven't, if you're not sure what we're talking about, in my last episode, which was released on Monday, we were talking about Misery, the book, which came out Mm -hmm. in 1987. We're not going to give, in that episode, we don't give away the ending of the book. We don't spoil anything, though we do talk about in relative detail the grotesque hobbling scene that occurs where Annie Wilkes chops off our hero Paul Sheldon's foot at the ankle, which still makes me choke a little bit. It's In the book, it is so well-written. It's horrifying. And that particular scene put off not only actors who were being offered the role, but also the director who... Um, director who was originally George Roy Hill who did Mm. Butch and Sundance who didn't want to film it
1: I always find it like I can understand certain elements of film that people might find hard to do like if they're going to play a pedophile or something like I can get that might be a hard thing to get your head around um or something you know where you're extremely racist or you know characters like that or against you know homophobic I can understand how that might be hard to do but horror I I don't get why people have a problem with that.
0: I think one of the things with that with Misery is that it isn't really a horror film not in the traditional sense.
1: No it's psychological which obviously psychological horror which obviously is my thing but when When you're in a film and you're like, I mean, obviously you're not acting, you're acting as a pedophile, if that's the thing, but you're not doing the stuff, but you're, you know, you've, you have to probably say certain things. Like if you're the racist in a film, you have to say certain things and you might not want those words to leave your mouth. But in this, if you're cutting off someone's foot, you're not cutting off their foot. It's just a fake foot. So you're not doing it like it's uh, you know. Can order, you know? You get cakes made out of feet and everything these days. <laughs> like you yeah, know, I people know. make fun things. It's just I don't. Beattie, uh
0: apparently, according to the information that I I managed to glean, BT wanted to. Uh, he didn't feel that Sheldon having his foot cut off gave him the elements required to be the hero at the end of the film. Yeah. Huh? They didn't feel that he would, though you think about it in the book, he isn't, he's lost his foot, mm-hmm. but he isn't, well, actually he's massively traumatized by it yeah. because he envisages his death at her hands oh, six months after the fact. And mm-hmm. he's obviously, he's able to walk, but it's slow going and he's no longer the virile man he used to be in the book. In the film, he walks into that restaurant. He's got an elegant cane and everything yeah. else, and he's walked away from it. And there isn't so much visual trauma. No. In the book, they interpret things very differently. But I, mm. I guess, really, we should go back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, there was the word, and that word was Annie Wilkes is a psycho stalker.
1: <laughs>
0: no. In this, the thing is, in the film. We have exactly the same setup as the book. Well, mm-hmm. actually, we don't. In the film, they set things up far more than they do in the book. Because in the book, mm. we have we are we start the book with him waking up to Annie saying, "I'm your number one fan," yeah. and remembering yeah. nothing. Whereas in the film, we have the setup. We have the foreshadowing of the cigarette and the and the match. Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. The I see champagne. What you mean, yeah. yeah. And him leave him putting his script, which his manuscript, which is untitled in the film, but as we mentioned in my Monday episode, is titled
1: "Fast Car" in in the book. Can I just ask one question? Yeah, was I tripping here? You know, at the beginning when because I didn't spot, I've never spot this before, and I don't know is the reason because I've imagined it. But when, you know, at the beginning when he's got his champagne, yes, wasn't that Moe? In there, and then he has Dom Pérignon. I could have swore I could have swore it said Moë, because in the book she, there's this big whole deal about how she pronounces Dom Pérignon, and you know that because she can't. In say the film, it there's also
0: a thing, and also yeah. when but, Buster goes to question the uh, mm. the checkout de- or the desk clerk yeah. at the hotel, he says, "Oh, he orders. He always orders a bottle of Dom Pérignon, so I know that he was finished with the script." Yeah, but I could have swore I saw Moë. I don't know.
1: Because even Dev did. Dev said,
0: yeah. That is a bit... It may well be. I mean, the bottle she has is obviously, it looks like it's been kept in a cellar for about 10,000 years. Yeah. but Hang on. But anyway, he follows his routine to the the letter. He has a very, very strict routine. So you Mm. get that impression that he is slightly OCD
1: yeah
0: because he has to follow that routine every time he finishes things
1: yeah the superstition because I did it the first time t- that's why he has that bag isn't it because yes exactly first yeah and
0: he's far more that way in the film than he is in the book it's almost mm-hmm. as though this is a, an element of his character that they are desperate to get across yeah and he is in an accident there's a blizzard he's in a hor- horrific accident his car is his car rolls Mm -hmm. down a hillside and the next thing we see is the car door being prized open with a crowbar and annie wilkes dragging him out of the car and saving his life and the next thing we know he's in her spare room at her home and he's waking up to the sight of an iv bag yeah and annie wilkes saying i'm your number one fan
1: because I suppose at first glance, because obviously we don't know it's her. Like if you don't know anything about the film, Misery, the characters, you just see a, a, a person. What am I? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And when she's carrying him off, it just looks like someone carrying him off. But when he first wakes up, you could almost, uh, you know, be he could be mistaken of thinking he's in a hospital because in your days looking around, you see the IV bag and you wouldn't expect be, to be in somebody's house with no. that. So he probably has woken up thinking, yeah, I'm in hospital. But then, like you said, he's got this overexcited woman, like, in well, his At face. that
0: moment in time, she's an amorphic blob because he can't really see yeah. her. And he keeps on hearing, I'm your number one fan. Yeah. Which is really creepy.
1: Yeah. And I, I she says, the way she says his name a lot, like, when I say the name Paul, I say Paul. But she's like, Paul. Like, she really... Like, his name is very overused, I find, in the film, the way she says it. She says his name a lot, but it's like, for me, the name lasts longer than yes. what, you know, Paul. That's the Paul. thing, like in the book, he stresses yeah.
0: he doesn't like the way she says his name.
1: Yeah, he really. she really says it. Yeah. You know, but she says it in a way like it's almost when she's saying his name, oh, Paul, in the in, in the film, it's like she almost can't believe that she's, saying it actually to him in person. She's an excitable teenage fan in that moment. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is,
0: though, in the book, it doesn't say anything about how... Well, it does. It says that she came across him. Mm. In the film, she actually admits that she was stalking him. Yeah. And she followed him down the the hillside. Yeah. And that's why she found. found him. Yeah. But she's also not as motivated in the book in the film in some ways because in the book she goes and hides the car in the film it's just left on the hillside
1: and the snow does the job but obviously the snow eventually is going to dissipate which
0: it does and she isn't so she has those angry moments I mean Kathy Bates did an absolutely exceptional job and she deserved that oscar she won the oscar yeah yeah she did an exceptional job in this role Mm. there was those there were those moments that she looked almost ethereally ethereally innocent Mm. with the rosy cheeks and the subtle lip lip balm and the hair perfect and even when she was raging at him it's sort of like you were looking at it thinking this seems out of character initially, especially if you've never read the book. It's, wow, that was a sudden turn. Because of how she looks, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because she looks so harmless.
1: She does do that well, though, because one scene in particular, which I had actually forgotten about, is when he invites her to dinner. Like, will you meet with me tonight? Yeah, and... When she comes out, she's made an effort. And I I remember, and she's done her hair, and she looks like she's a bit of blush on her thing, but she's really made an effort. And it's almost like they're on a first date, and to her. Yes, like to her, it's a, definitely a first yeah, date. And you can see that it's a bit of, she's very giddy and like nervous, and she plays that all um very well. But then it's it's really, and for those moments, I said to Dev, I was like, there are the moments, I know this is really bad, but there are the moments where I almost feel a bit sorry for her because she's so happy and I've had those moments like before like obviously I'm married now I have had happy moments that's got really wrong no but no but I mean at the beginning because well I, I'm but you know when you when you meet someone these are people that I I'm no longer with but you meet someone and you really like them and you're so happy because you've, you know, you're you're all giddy and butterflies and stuff like that. And then they don't bother with you anymore. And you're like, all of a sudden that really does drop with some, some people that you may have liked. And I felt, I felt in that scene, that's how I felt. I was like, oh my God, she's so happy because this guy's giving her attention. She loves him, blah, blah, blah. And in a minute, I know that he, they're going to be back to, The horrible side of things again you know and she's not going to be happy it's it's weird
0: that's it she shows vulnerability in Mm. the film that you do not see in the book for a perfect example being when she has that moment where she is suddenly so depressed
1: oh she's made no effort
0: with her hair her face looks gray Mm. and she talks about the breakdown of her marriage something that isn't ever talked about in the book no. there's never a discussion about it but you do find out about it because it is mentioned in her memory book mm. there's the memory of uh, the the marriage and she looks really happy and then there's the divorce 18 months later does he die in the film
1: did she push him off a cliff or is, why have I got this cliff on my head I don't know why you've got a cliff in
0: your head because there's no mm. mention
1: of so in the picture there wasn't guy falls to his death type thing that was
0: her dad. Oh right, okay. Because okay. she went back to her maiden name after she, yeah, after they
1: divorced. Yeah, okay. That's so
0: the list. Carl Wilkes being pushed and it was mm. die. I think it dies on stairs or was pushed downstairs. Mm. That was her dad. All right. Her husband was a um an orthopedic surgeon.
1: Oh, at right. one of the
0: hospitals that she worked at.
1: Yeah,
0: but in the film, we get this impression that she is somebody who suffers quite badly from depression.
1: Yeah, that was, I think when I saw her like that, that was, I think when she's shouting and screaming, you know what you're getting. Yeah. You know what you're getting. Um, When she does an act, you know, know, when she does that to his legs, you know what you're getting. But when someone's like that, you don't know what you're getting because even he's like, are you okay type thing you can see he's kind of taken back and then she kind of pulls that gun out of her pocket doesn't she then she goes
0: yeah she pulls that gun I, out of her pocket and says so she's got
1: two bullets yeah she goes i got this gun like but she's so like i've got this gun and oh i don't know and then she just walks out and gets into her car and she's still in her dressing game mm-hmm. yeah no that was really because i i was like i do you do not know what she's going to do at that point
0: this is a side of her character you never see in the book Mm. because you never see the depressive side. No. You see the the manic, the mm. uh, uncontrollable rage. You see yeah. the strategic and calculating, but you never see.
1: Yeah. It's almost
0: as though the directors wanted us and the screenwriter wanted us to see that she was human with human frailties rather than this calculating killer. But then, of course he discovers that she is a calculating killer and that's when the tone of the film changes yeah because then even though he knows all of these things that he's seen what she's capable of he's now seen more of what she has done in the past and he's terrified
1: yeah because you see like at the beginning when she the first outburst, she read the book and she found, he was like, but that's how people talk. And then that's when she starts getting angry about it. She starts, here's the bastard check and all this kind of yeah, stuff. And that's well, when
0: she's feeding him the soup, isn't it? And she feeds Yeah, that's it. when she,
1: yeah. And yeah. then she steals the soup. Yeah. And like, you can see his face there. He's kind of like, like, you're very, you're very much aware of the fact that he's, and he's obviously, he's very much aware of the fact that she's, there's something not quite right. But he doesn't quite know what it is because all the phones are still down and the roads are down and stuff like that. And then, but
0: she's telling him the phones are down.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's not obviously real. Um, Part you know, one of the phones isn't really a phone, is it? It's just an ornament. But um, but when she has that outburst, that's I suppose the moment where he's like, okay, she can really flip here, and it's not just this is a bit of a weird setup. I'm not quite sure what's going on. And I think that's the moment, like quite early on, he's like, okay, I may be in some serious trouble here.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. And then, but then she apologizes. Oh God, I just lose my temper and stuff like that. It gets away with me. And she also says
0: that this is, maybe this is why I don't have many friends. Yeah. And it's almost as though there's that moment of pity for her. Which yeah. you continue to feel throughout the film, despite everything she's doing. She's completely irrational, despite all of that. There's still that little thing in the little voice in the back of your head going, but she's so lonely. She's so isolated. And then you see her with the de- the depression that she can't control. It's like, oh my, that's awful.
1: Yeah, no, because th- I've like seen, um, did you watch Castle Rock? No, I didn't. Yeah, no, that was good. The girl who plays her in that was really good. And um, in that, I felt like from what I remember, I'd need to rewatch it. She was the kind of like down, like, I I don't think you got much of the kind of, for use of a better term, nice Annie, like friendly Annie, smiley Annie in that, whereas in that she seemed to be a lot, from what I remember, I'd have to watch it again. Um, she seemed to be like down a lot. So obviously, and in this, I th- in Castle Rock, I think she's in her 20s. So it shows that, because in this, she must be at least in her 50s, 40s.
0: She was born in 53?
1: Oh, so she would have been in her... the
0: fires were in 64.
1: Oh, yeah, so she would have been in her 40s. In the book, anyway. All right, so maybe 30s. Oh, God. Um, Sorry, Kathy Bates. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, so... They're daughter. hardly going
0: to want want to make her look like a twenty five year old model.
1: No, she needed to look the way she needed because it fitted in with a lot of the stuff, like especially, but especially like when the, the things with the pig scene when she comes in with her pig and she's doing that that uh, honk thing. But it just goes to show because there were times where like with the dinner scene, you're like, oh my god, she looks really pretty. Yes. And then other scenes, you're like, oh my god, she's scary. She is not attractive. But that's down to Kathy Bates, like playing these roles. But that I've always said that with people with people in general, because Dev always finds this a bit funny. I'm like, I can see the hottest guy who I look at and I think is beautiful. And then if he's a bit of an asshole, I'm like, no. Whereas Dev's like We
0: had this conversation, did we not? With Knives Out. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, with Chris Evans.
1: And I'm very much like that.
0: You said you'd prefer Sebastian Stan in fresh, despite being a cannibal. To Chris Evans in Knives Out. (laughs) Yeah, but in in Fresh, he was all nice and he was like fun. (laughs) Brilliant. That's the thing. I think that in some ways I do feel as though they did Paul Sheldon a bit of a disservice in the film. How do you mean? They didn't give him as much character. They gave him these characteristics, but in the book, it's all his inner voice. So we're seeing things from his perspective and we're hearing his inner voice and his experiences because in the book we're talking about he is focusing on the I'm your number one fan and he's remembering another woman who did something very, very similar that he ended up having to threaten with court action because she kept on sending him stuff. God, stalker. I think her name was Virginia. Mm. And she kept on, she'd done all these weird things. She was a f- massive fan of the of the Misery books. And she'd made a room in her house the same as it was in in the books. Yeah. And he kept on remembering this. And it was almost as though he was trying to keep himself grounded because he knew that he was sinking into drug addiction. Whereas in the film, he is in control all the time. Even when he's terrified, he's still conscious enough to not take all the medication because he has a plan for it, which he doesn't have in the book.
1: But I, I think the thing with him and what I liked about him, because like, yeah, he doesn't... I, I liked with him, I think how he holds it together is really good. I mean, he could be freaking the hell out.
0: Yeah. But he
1: holds it together really well. He's constantly thinking. He's constantly on alert. He's constantly, how am I going to get myself out of this situation? And he plays the game perfectly. And the only time I felt that he really stepped away from, from not, actually, this is the only time I felt that we actually probably got the real pull, apart from when he tries to kill her at the end, is when she has done the hobbling and then she's looking out the window and he's looking out the window and she's like, hey. And he gives her the middle finger. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only time I felt he's like, no, not, no, I'm not playing this game today. Look what you've just done. And she takes it. Oh, look at you. Just kidding. Because probably maybe you got her in a good mood or something, but. Well, she was with she, misery, wasn't she? She was with her pig. Well, is the thing is, as well, is like. Her reaction to that is out of character for Annie and his reaction to her is out of character for him while with Annie. I feel he would act like that as the Paul Sheldon before he got into this situation. He wasn't, you know, as I said, the most pleasant. I don't think he was probably the most pleasant man. But in this moment, he went back to who he was and she went completely out of character because he's disrespected her there. But she's taken it as a joke.
0: That's the thing. I think in the book, he's far more detached because Mm. the only person who notices he's missing is his agent. Whereas in the film, he's given a daughter daughter who's at college. Yeah. And even the agent, who is played fantastically by Lauren Bacall, Mm. is very much, oh, well, You've got to be a bit more grateful to misery because she made sure that your daughter has straight teeth.
1: Yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. But and as well, sent I, her to a great school and everything else.
1: Yeah, no, no, I get. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think as well with um her reaction to him giving the finger also shows that she doesn't think that she's done anything wrong with regard. Obviously, she has because she's just done that to his feet. But because, and he gives her the finger, but she's like, Oh, you're just kidding. That shows that she doesn't really think she's done anything wrong. Because yeah. before that, she's on about how, look, once you're basically up and about, you're going to go. And the, this is her way of obviously, well, you're not better. So you can't leave yet, as well. You it's know?
0: also revenge yeah. because
1: He's been he read no her act.
0: book he knocked that penguin figurine over and put it back the wrong way. In the book, he's discovered because he leaves a black mark on the wallpaper outside his bedroom door, and she put a piece of hair over her book, which was kept yeah. closed in the, fi- in the book. Yeah. But in the film, it was left open with his newspaper articles stating that he's missing.
1: I think for me, the like while it, when they're in the, the bedroom... Like it's tense, but it really when he gets out of that room, that's I feel when you're really getting into the horror side of things, because when she coming back and especially when he gets out of the chair to go and try the back door, because obviously his, you know, he can't walk. So he's got to drag his way back and then he hears her. And, you know, you don't know, is he going to get back or not? And if she finds him out of the room, you know, because up until then, if you don't know anything about the story, like if you've not read the book, you don't know, is he going to get caught? you know um I mean usually they don't because that's the way these things happen but um I I thought that the whole the tension around all that was was really good and when he did go out the other time and he was reading that book that he saw of her memory lane and the the killings and all that kind of stuff part of me was like going what are you doing get back into that room you know you're wasting valuable time here you know
0: but it gave him more insight I think the thing with the book was we didn't get enough of the book. Mm. We saw snippets of the book rather than everything that we saw in the actual book of misery. Yeah. Because we get to read the articles as he's reading them. Mm. And in this, it was flipping through opening little bits and the insight we got into her, her own personal past.
1: Yeah.
0: Was provided by her. When she opened up to him about her marriage and the fact that it broke down.
1: Yeah, she does a little bit of that, doesn't she? She gives little bits away. Which she doesn't in the book. Mm.
0: It's almost as though they needed to voice those. You mentioned the hobbling and we have mentioned it before. In the book, it was way more brutal.
1: Yeah, because I remember when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, I don't remember that because Dev kept saying to me, does she cut his foot off? Does she cut his foot off? I was like... You have to wait and see.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and in the, in the film, she doesn't cut his foot off. She has this massive, great big sledgehammer and whacks
1: both his ankles. Do you think that they... I know this is going to be a really weird phrase to use because of what happened to him, but do you think they toned it down to just whacking them in rather than cutting it off because people wouldn't do the part? <laughs> they did. Everyone kept saying no. Is that the reason they, they did it? They
0: actually did. Rob Reiner... Who was the director uh, who was the um director of the film basically mm. said that well, he asked Warren Beatty to do it. He wanted Warren Beatty in the role of Paul Sheldon. Mm. And Beatty said that he wouldn't do it because he felt that it wasn't in character for the yeah. person that Sheldon needed to be at the end. Yeah. And eventually, after speaking with multiple people. William Goldman, who adapted the screenplay, never wanted it to be watered down. He wanted that scene in there. And eventually, Reiner stated, we wanted Paul Sheldon to, at the end of this movie, emerge victorious over Annie Wilkes. And if he wound up without a foot, even if he winds up beating her and she dies, then maybe he paid too high a price for that. And that was a direct quote from Reiner, which is why they changed it. They were having oh, a lot of issues with the brutality of that particular hobbling.
1: Yeah. I see. I don't get sometimes like I don't get why they change stuff in books. I they don't changed a lot of it. Yeah, but I don't get why they do that. Like for me, it was there was similarities. And obviously, like there was enough for me to bring it in together to the book. But sometimes you, you see these things and it's like completely different. And you're like, what's the point? Like, what's the point? Because you still would have got, especially with this film, because you still would have got the brutal scene of what was being done to his feet. I mean, both things were awful.
0: Like, it's
1: not like you're like, well, luckily you only got this because you could have got this. No, both things, (laughs) you know, you see when she whacks him. I mean, I looked away, put the fingers in my ears which is what I always do. And I could see, I was looking at Dev and I could see him go like this. He was squinting. But then I looked back after it was done and I saw Paul Sheldon kind of like passing out. So obviously what happened to him was absolutely brutal. And that's what I mean. And with the the lawnmower stuff, it's a horror film. You can do this stuff.
0: That's not in the film. I, I don't know why my
1: brain tells me that Misery was a 15. But make it an 18 and then stick all the stuff in. You know, if you're gonna co- if you're gonna do someone's book, do someone's book, man. You you didn't have to necessarily show the lawnmower going over your man's face, but you could have. You know, this is what's happening. Sorry, mate, Buster, poor old Buster. See, that's the thing that I really did love
0: about this, about the film in comparison with the book, was Buster and his wife Virginia. See, there's where they use Virginia instead of being Virginia as in the obsessed fan. Oh, Virginia gosh, yeah. is now Buster's wife. Yeah. And she they have the most amazingly
1: hilarious exchanges. I, I love um, how she gets jealous and she thinks he's having an affair and she like basically wants to get him home into the sack. <laughs>
0: yeah. Even when they're driving out to try and find the car and everything. Yeah. And she's so sarcastic to him. And he says yeah. that that's what he loves about her. In the book, I imagine him as younger in the book.
1: I thought he was. I forgot that he was uh, the age he was. In the film, he's
0: older. But I think in the book, he's much younger. But you don't get to find out anything about his past, his current life, his past, his experience, Mm. or anything else in the book. He's just Mm. a character that comes in and is conveniently, or rather, in his case, inconveniently, horrifically murdered. Yeah. In the film... You ha- you've got to know him because he's in the bo- he's in the film from very very early on,
1: and he almost looks like I felt with him because when they first call in, like bit of a small time cop mentality where he yeah. just writes the name down, and he goes it's in our system, and he puts a post-it on the wall. But once he kind of starts, the wheels start turning you look like he's really getting into this. He's really, it's like, this is what he's been waiting for all his life to have a real investigation because yeah. uh, because he gets that call where you hear him saying, well, if you're going to put benches outside your store, Mr. Such and Such, people are going to sit on them. And yeah. that's the type of, you know, kids are throwing rocks at my car or, or someone was standing by my gate and they won't leave. They're the type of calls that he's normally used to getting. Whereas this time, big celebrity, so massive case type thing. And he actually has to do investigating. You see him in the library. You see him getting all the books. You see him go and asking questions. He looked like he was really... He was a good cop, actually, when you think about it. He was a very good cop. But he was
0: also a really personable character. Yeah,
1: I liked him. When he was with
0: his wife, Virginia, they were hilarious together. Mm. They were the comic relief. And for him to die in such... Even though it wasn't being stabbed in the back with a cross and then run over with a lawnmower. Yeah. It was still... You were still rooting for him to get out of that house alive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And his death is brutal because he gets one of those guns that basically blows your... Shotgun. Yeah. Blow you... Your inside... It comes right through, like... But, yeah, he was... While
0: he's walking down the stairs to the
1: basement. Yeah, because he sees Paul. Yeah, no, I thought he was a really good character. And, like, you know, he he kind of made it a bit more interesting with how he was looking because you you were like just open that door or just you know because yeah. he was getting so close but without being close enough
0: yeah and it was when he dies mm. it's like no yeah because you kind of in this instance the the really the really funny thing about this film is it's 1 hour and 47 minutes long and mm. all of the action, the real action, takes place in the last 15 minutes of the film.
1: Yeah, no, because when we were watching it, I said to Dev, I wonder how long is left? And he, because we knew how long it was on for. He goes, oh, I'd say a good half an hour. And it was 11 minutes. Mm. You know what I mean? And we were like, oh, all this crazy stuff is, like, happening. It gets cl- the film gets
0: mm. closed off mm. very quickly. But what I found interesting was in the book, we have the FBI and a stack of other investigators that come... Yeah. After Buster's, after his disappearance, Buster's disappearance, the cops. And they're all questioning it and everything else. David and
1: Goliath, he calls them, isn't it? Yeah.
0: There is so much happening around all of this. We've got the investigators and she says, oh, I know people are going to come back. We haven't got much time. And in a matter of 12, 13 minutes, the film's over after that shot on the stairs yeah. it's almost as though he plans and everything happens very quickly because we have the burning of his manuscript and everything
1: I think I find uh, I find it a bit humorous how at the end like with she walks in and like for her, the worst thing in the world is not knowing what happened with these. Does she marry? Was it Winchester or some of these? Does she marry him or him? And yeah. does? Yeah, it's it's it. And I thought, you know, we've all been on that cliffhanger edge where oh, what happens? We have to wait till next week or something like that. But she's never going to know because at this stage, she doesn't know he's going to kill her. You know, I mean, I know she's planning on killing him, killing killing them but she could be like no you gotta write that type thing but it's like the worst thing is she's down there pattering it to try and put it out and she's she catches on fire herself at one yep. point you know and it's just that fight at the end that was very realistic I have to say and the way uh,
0: the thing that really spooked me with that one was how after he's bashed her in the head with a an iron pig mm. her eyes
1: dead open yeah yeah
0: that that yeah. was that actually quite freaked me out,
1: and I say that as someone who sleeps with their eyes open. Ooh, yeah, because like there's a thing where she's <laughs> she's hit with um, the typewriter, and then you know, she falls and hits her head on the typewriter. And you think she's done, but you know, true horror—they have to come back for one last scare, don't they? And she just—but fair play to him because she really—I mean, th- that was an even fight. Yes. You know, when they're starting run on rolling around the floor, I mean, it was anyone's. That could have been either of them could have come out glorious in that one. But yeah, I thought, um, I thought that, that scene was just amazing. But her, oh, again, this is where the sucker in me comes into play is he's like, well, you know, I need to have my cigarette and my thing. And then he, and she goes, but there's only one, she's like her usual, I haven't done good. There's only two, well, I need two glasses. And then she's like, oh, Paul, her usual way. And then she comes yeah. in and she's like so happy. And then again. Sorry, no happiness for you today. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, in the book,
0: we have that comparison. He, he he hides the manuscript. He doesn't burn it in the book, yeah. in the book, because he knows it's the best thing he's ever written. Yeah, and then he's terrified to go back for it, just in case she's still alive, even though he knows they found her dead. And yeah. in this one, it's almost as though in the film, it's almost as though. Not dismissing what happened because I don't think you ever could, but it's sort of like, oh, here's my brand new book, and they're all, and apparently everybody's raving about it, and it's yeah. nothing at all to do with ch- uh, with misery or with his life events mm. and then you get that, that waitress oh I know, coming at him with a knife and the cake.
1: I'm your number one fan. The hair and and the outfit. Yeah, he was just
0: thinking, I'd run.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he holds it together really
0: well though, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He's very upfront in saying, you want me to write a book about the worst
1: experience of my life? Yeah. And I think that's the only part, that's another moment where you can see, because when he sees that woman and she's like, "Um, I'm your number one fan. Yeah. you know you could understand if he freaked out a bit but he didn't he held it together really calm which is basically what he did the whole time he was with misery uh, with annie um but then when she says look you know write a book basically and he says what he says that shows no this was actually a really bad time and i do not want to relive it relive it which again doesn't seem like the paul sheldon that we've known all this time. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, you never really know what's going on inside, inside someone's head because she knows Paul Sheldon as this like, kind of like calm, whatever type dude who's got his act together, who, you know, but he's quite cold inside. Yeah. So she probably thinks, Hey, just write a book about it. You can make some money, man. And he's like, you have no idea of what I've been through because if you did, you wouldn't ask me to do that. And
0: basically. also he acknowledges yeah. that, that yeah. event with Annie changed him
1: completely yeah exactly exactly as it would anybody exactly and i think you know that's that's looking at him I mean, he looks like he's kind of doing all right but he's not but you can't you know you can't see inside someone's brain to know like you, you see people of pictures like look at chester from lincoln park he was laughing and joking and then he kills himself. you know you just don't know what's going on in people's heads do you and i think that scene was like a perfect example of it especially when he held it together so well when he saw that woman who basically was Annie
0: yeah but that's the thing we yeah. saw yeah his vision exactly coming at him of yeah. Annie with the knife in the waitress uniform
1: yeah pushing the trolley and he just sat there calm because he knew it wasn't real but obviously it's still there but he didn't react he he just kept his pull coolness Paul. yes exactly so having
0: watched this, where would you put it in your
1: adaptation list? Oh, God. I personally think it's a good one. I think, I don't think they should have changed some stuff. Like, I don't, I think they should have kept the feet thing. And I think they should have kept the cop thing, how they kill. I think they should have kept the way they kill. I, I don't like it when they do that because you, like I said, you don't need to show it, but you can like, if she's heading to him to, with a lawnmower, you know, what's going to happen. You don't need to see it, but you know, what's going to happen. Um, and I thought it, I actually thought it was, um, all right. As far as some of them go, I can't think of any off the top of my head where I'm like, that didn't even, yeah, actually there's a story that I, I haven't read the book, but I know about him cause I've read loads about him. And that's, there is a book, Richard Kuklinski, he's the Iceman. He was a hitman for the Mafia, all of the five uh, Mafia families. And But he was Polish, so he couldn't become a Mafia guy. Uh, and then when you watch the Iceman with, um, what's his name? Shannon, Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. It kind of makes him look like he's a bit of a nice guy, which, you know, it, it doesn't represent it. I didn't think it represented it at all. Um, so there is an example, but I, like I said, I haven't read the book, but I presume the book gives you all the details. Um, but with this, I thought it was okay. I thought it was uh, it it was all right. I thought it was good.
0: Yeah, Stephen yeah. King said that it was one of his top ten adaptations, mm. and he's a massive fan of Rob Reiner. Yeah, so he called Misery a great film.
1: Yeah. Majority what I find film. amazing
0: is that William Goldman and Rob Reiner are the same team that brought us the Princess Bride. I know, I know. It's like how? How do they go from the Princess Bride? Because they're to good. This?
1: They're good. They're great, great at what they do. But I think because Stephen King hated The Shining. Yes, he did. You know, he hated. The, I love The Shining. The film. I'd have to re-listen to the book. Re-listen, <laughs> re-listen to the book to. Um, see how I felt about that but um maybe that would be an interesting one to do for yeah. your your show the shining movie and the the book um but I did I thought this I really enjoyed the book and I really enjoyed the film I this is a film I would watch again and again I just think it's brilliant I think it's such a good film and it was a really good book I really enjoyed it the bits I I didn't want like I wanted the bit more of the that's that's just me in my horror ways but I, I, you know, it wasn't a, a deal breaker. It didn't make the film. Oh, I just would have preferred that.
0: That's the I noticed the differences far more because I read the book yesterday, watched the film, mm. or most of it this morning, and there were certain things that I noticed in the behavior of the characters that was different. Yeah, but it, as you said, it's not a deal breaker because I was able to separate the two. Yeah, because I had my vis my vision of. The characters in the book, and I imagined Annie as older. Yeah, even though I know that she wasn't, she was. I think she was in her forties
1: in the yeah. book. Yeah, no, I didn't because I had seen the film, so I just kept picturing her as Annie. Yeah, that's. it. I yeah, mean, I'd seen the great. film before yeah. I
0: reread it, but at the same time, because of the picture that was created on the page. Mm. That's how I always interpret things when I'm reading. I will always have my in my mind how I see the characters. Yeah. And then I just look at the book. It's something I look at the film. Sometimes I'll look at the film and I'll go, What? No. I did that yeah. with the last four Harry Potter films. What? Mm. No? They've cast who as Luna Lovegood and why as much as I love Alan Rickman. Casting him made the other characters too old. Oh, I loved him. Yeah, I loved him, but he was 30 years too old for that role. Oh.
1: Because
0: they were supposed to be in their 30s, early 30s. Mm. So Mm. it was, as much as I loved him, I was still, they needed to pick someone younger. They really did. And in my head, I could see them as much younger characters. Hmm. So the interpretation kind of went a bit awry for me in that respect. But when I watched Misery after reading the book, I could see them as two separate things because though the plots were the same, they went off in another direction enough, especially with the ending, Mm. that I could see them as that was a film and that was the book and ne'er the twain shall meet. They were great. It was a great adaptation but it wasn't so precisely to the book, no that I had a tr- had any trouble with it.
1: Yeah. Now, I think what I would have to do if we did do one again or if I ever did one myself with the regards to the film is I'd have to do listen to it over a shorter space because the problem yeah. is I started this one a while back and was going back and forth with other stuff, and there was parts of it I just couldn't remember. And I think I'd have to do that. I'd have to like say, right, this week, all I'm listening to is this. And then that way it'd be fresher, you know, be more together. Because obviously yeah. if you're listening to stuff in between, that kind of everything gets tangled in. But yeah, I'd have to, I'd do it differently next time. And probably watch the film a bit before it. You know, I know that's our ways to some people, but that's how it. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that James Kahn was... Perfect for. I thought James Cahn was brilliant. I really did. I thought he was amazing in this. Um, I couldn't fault either of them, and the same with the other, like Buster and Virginia. So I just thought it was really good casting, and I couldn't imagine, like when you said Bette Midler, I was like, yeah, I could see that, but I, I'm glad that they've had Kathy Bates because I think she was exceptional. And um, when you said Warren Beatty, I was like, no. Yeah, I yeah. think my issue.
0: I think the only thing that I would have had a problem with with Bette Midler is Mm. that I can't see her as the innocent nurse with the rosy cheeks and everything else because I always envisage her as the big brash character she played in Beaches.
1: Yeah I think as well that I think sometimes you know actors they surprise you because these actors get put into like all these really comedic roles for instance and then one day you see them as something really serious and you're like oh you know it's like when Ryan Reynolds did uh the Amityville Horror it was really weird watching him do that because that's not the Ryan Reynolds we're used to you know or when Kevin Bacon did um when he was in Sleepers like I really and then he was in the other one I think it was called woodsman or something and i was just so not used to it like it's weird when you see them in certain ways but when they're really good at it you know
0: yeah the really funny thing is uh james con was not nominated for any awards for no misery no but our friend buster yeah was nominated for an a supporting actor award was
1: he yeah richard do- farnsworth yeah
0: he was nominated for best supporting actor at the 2020 Awards. And this was the first adaptation of a Stephen King novel. That won an Oscar. Won an Oscar. Won an yeah, won an Oscar. Won an Oscar, so I did. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's interesting to see that. She was the one that everybody pulled out of that. Because I suppose she had far more dimension to her. Mm. In the film. Yeah. Than James Kahn James Kahn's character.
1: Yeah, because as well, she had a lot more physical acting because that played a part of it, the way she moved herself. And, you know, it wasn't just about her saying stuff. It was how she looked. Yeah, she was definitely, whereas was, he was in a constant state of what the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> she what we was going to do?
0: <laughs> exactly. She was fantastic in this role. Yeah. And it was probably the role that really brought her to the attention mm. of everybody. Because yeah. there were only a few characters in this film.
1: Mm. No, definitely, definitely. But yeah, no, I I just thought she was brilliant. I like Kathy Bates, so I so I watched when I watched her in um uh, American Horror Story as well. She's just she's just a great actress in general. She's versatile. She is, and I think that's why
0: she was able to play the multiple personalities that we see in Annie Wilkes throughout the film and read her in read in the book.
1: Yeah, no, she does. She does. There's like, like quite a few things I've seen her in, but yeah, I like her. um...
0: I like her. I like her. So final thoughts on the film.
1: If You haven't seen it. Watch it.
0: Make sure that you have a blanket.
1: (laughs) Make sure you can put your fingers in your ears and you know, yeah. No, it's just and it's one of those films as well where I found, you know, you're really fixed on it. You don't want to be on your phone. You don't want to do something else. This is a film where you sit down and you watch it. I think it deserves that. Yeah, you know, I agree. You to really get the impact of it. You really need to sit because a lot of the stuff you need to see is the, the how Paul's responding to things, how his eyes are, like what he's looking at you need to be paying attention just for those little bits because they make a lot of difference, you know? Um, So yeah, you need to pay attention to it when you're watching it. Not because it's a hard film to follow, but it's because it's just, it it deserves that attention, I think. Yeah, little
0: details like the penguin. Yeah, That always faces
1: north. Yeah. No, wasn't it? Does she say due north or something? Yes.
0: Always faces yeah. due north. And yeah. he puts it back in the wrong Southeast way. or something. And the minute he does yeah. that, I'm just sitting there. And I was sitting there this morning watching that bit going, no, put it back the other way.
1: <laughs> it's that's just little things like that. When he took the knife, though, I was like, oh, my God, she's going to notice that.
0: <laughs> yeah, but not only. I found it when he was practicing how he was going to pull the knife out oh. from his swing. it was like you're a teenage boy who's practicing how to use nunchucks and you're going to end up hurting yourself
1: yeah no that was really that was quite sweet really (laughs) I'll get her I'll get her I'll show her (laughs) with my new technique
0: (laughs) yeah it was it that was funny because you had the sound effect Mm. and it's like yeah she's not gonna notice a massive great big knife missing from her kitchen okay you're deluded
1: (laughs) yeah no I uh no, so, overall, so.
0: what rating would you give it? Not oh, as in age rating, as in star rating.
1: Out of 10, I'd give this a solid 8.5.
0: Yeah, you see, I was going for
1: eight, but mm. I think that's
0: because my brain was still focused on, I wanted more of the inner voice.
1: Yeah, no, I, I'd give it a good 8.5. It's, it's a really good, it's making me, I want to go and watch another Stephen King film. Maybe I'll do a Stephen King film for my next episode for Once Upon a Nightmare
0: thank you for coming on and talking to me for ages about misery in Mm. both its forms. And where can people find you?
1: Yes. You can find me on once upon a nightmare podcast everywhere. Um, And Twitter is a nightmare pod or American stories everywhere. American murder stories everywhere. And uh, American underscore murders on Twitter. But yeah, that's basically it.
0: Yep, that's true crime and horror stories. Mm. So whatever you're looking for, you're going to find something in one of Lauren's yeah. podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> thank you ever so much for coming on again. Yeah, thank you. And talking to me about this. We'll have to find another book, movie adaptation that is an enjoyable, Not not necessarily even enjoyable. It could just be
1: an average and we talk about why it's average. Yeah, yeah, could do that. If have to be something that I'm willing to listen to, though, for seven, 11 hours. <laughs> I'm going to make you listen to Fifty Shades of Grey. Never going to happen. <laughs> There's a horror story. <laughs> Never going to happen. I haven't seen the films. I haven't seen the book. All I know is that Dakota Fanning and Jamie Doran is in it. I can't even remember the name of the woman that writes it.
0: E.L. James.
1: Oh, uh, well, I was way off.
0: Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. And again, a massive thank you to Lorraine for joining me. Next week will actually be an interview with author Stacy Gold about her contemporary novel *Wild at Heart*. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Good Pods, Spotify, or Podchaser. You can follow me on Twitter at being_underscore_bookish and on Instagram at being_bookish_pod. Or you can check out my website being_bookish.co.uk. Well, I need another cup of coffee and to actually, truly select another book from the shelves. So until next time, this is me saying farewell.